You're listening to Expat Property Story, a podcast in which I share my story to smooth the way for you to have your own Expat Property Story. Hello there. We finally made it to episode 29, the final episode in this seven-day tax extravaganza in collaboration with Sean, the property tax accountant. If you didn't already know, we've been releasing bite-sized bits of information on everything that expats might want to know surrounding tax in relation to property. And as a final reminder, none of it should be considered advice. Talk to your legal, accounting and tax advisors before making any transactions. Why not check out the preceding episodes on property ownership structure, group structure, capital gains tax, compliance, tax evasion, tax avoidance and tax planning, all through the eyes of expats. Now, last week in episode 23, which was an introduction to Sean, I picked the Bahamas as the exotic listener location, as it seemed appropriate given that, although Sean is not from the Bahamas, he is based in the Caribbean. Well, our listener in the Bahamas has left us a message. Hi there, I'm JP. I am an expat living and working in the Bahamas. I've come across your podcast a few months ago and I've been following, trying to keep up to date with every episode you release It's been some great content. I've learned a lot and I've just heard the latest episode with Sean. The audio quality deteriorates after that, but JP goes on to say that he recently switched accountants to Sean a few months ago because he was specifically looking for an accountant who not only specialised in property, but also understood his situation as an expat. So if you want to contact Sean, you can find him on Instagram at property underscore tax underscore accountant underscore UK or at his website, propertytaxaccountant.uk. And if you want to leave a voice message like JP did, you can do so at the podcast website, www.expatpropertystory.com. Regulars will know that I frequently ask my guests a kind of signature question. What does the word risk mean to you? Back in episode one, Rob Dix threw the question back at me. So if you want to know what I think about risk, you can either go back and listen to that particular episode, or perhaps you might want to read a blog I wrote about it, also on the podcast website. And while you're there, why not tell us what risk means to you? Now, Sean is perhaps best placed of all of us to answer the question on risk, since he was once Chief Risk Officer for an insurance company. Now, I believe in a previous life, Sean, you were a chief risk officer for an insurance company. So I guess you have a slightly different perspective to offer on this than many of our other guests. Indeed, that's the case. When I heard that you always asked that question, I tried to answer it myself and then realized I couldn't. So I thought this might be an episode in itself, actually. In terms of risk, what what does that actually mean? Well, in simple terms, it's, it's the possibility of something bad. When considering that, really what we need to be thinking about is two things. What's the likelihood of something bad happening? And then what's the severity of that risk? Let's put this in the context of property. Let's say a tenant not paying their rent. So what's the likelihood of that happening? Well, let's, for example, say that you're operating a single family let. uh, There's just, say, one working parent. The rent is perhaps a high proportion of their income let's say they're working in the service industry during a pandemic. So clearly, as each of those factors apply, the likelihood of that risk materialising increases. What if they don't pay? How bad could that be? Well, let's consider the severity of that risk materialising. If that rental income is the sole source of income for the landlord, then clearly that has a significant impact and therefore it will have a high severity. Similarly, if they have a mortgage on that property, 
property, then the severity of that risk increases because, well, the property could be repossessed. It's as simple as that. So what is risk management all about then in that case? One of the definitions, it's the systematic approach to identifying, evaluating, mitigating, and monitoring those risks. Let's consider risk capacity and risk appetite. So risk capacity refers to the amount of risk an individual or an organization is able to tolerate or absorb, whereas the risk appetite refers to the amount of risk the individual or the organization is willing to take on. So capacity refers to how much one can handle. The appetite refers to how much one wants to take on. So one relates to actual facts and circumstances. The other is a personal choice. So in terms of property investment, maybe uh, those that are more wealthy or younger, they generally are considered to have higher risk capacity than those perhaps that are older or have limited resources. So a 10 grand loss to a multimillionaire, that's not really going to have a big impact where somebody perhaps that's on minimum wage and two children, clearly 10 grand is an awful lot of money. Similarly, a younger person is generally considered as having a greater ability to recover from a 10 grand loss than somebody that's perhaps a, a retiree on a fixed income. So that's capacity, whereas risk appetite is one's willingness to accept a risk. This is where we try to identify, assess and balance risk and return. At higher levels of returns, the risk of loss will clearly increase. It's the simple risk reward principle. Use an example, let's say two investors, they have a goal of achieving a profit of 20 grand from property. They could both have two very different risk appetites. So one might have a very low one. So they will settle for perhaps relatively stable, secure net profits of say five grand per year from a plain vanilla buy to let over a four year period. Not particularly exciting, secure. Conversely, another investor might have a much higher risk appetite, so they may choose to flip properties and achieve that same 20 grand profit in just a few months or even weeks. However, in the second case, the property flipper might find that during the course of the flip that they discover major problems with that property that erodes their profit, perhaps a pandemic strikes that prevents tradesmen from working or house prices crash and they're left in negative equity. Clearly, we can see that the risk reward principle applying there. So we've now defined risk appetite, but we also should consider risk tolerance. Risk tolerance is the amount of deviation from that risk appetite that an individual is willing to accept before they take certain action. We can think about driving along a motorway, for example, the reward there is clearly getting from A to B swiftly. But the government has said the speed limit is 70. That's effectively their appetite. We generally all know that the police will tolerate around about 10%. So if you're doing 77 miles an hour or less, you're really not going to get a ticket. Obviously, if you go much faster than that, then you will get a ticket. So let's think about this in terms of property. Again, let's assume here that a landlord might target a return of, say, five grand per year, but that's based on current interest rates. But if they find maybe the interest rates go up, maybe their return over time drops to, say, £2,000 per year. So if their income drops to that level, their planned action at that tolerance is maybe to sell the property. Conversely, they might find that over time that their return increases to, say, £8,000 per year. And maybe they set that as, as their um, lower risk tolerance, or depending on which way you want to look at it. 
And that might trigger another action whereby they would actually start buying more properties if they reach those sorts of levels um, because they find that they're actually not taking on enough risk. So it's, again, beyond their risk tolerance. So once you've defined all of those, the consideration then is, is, well, how do you manage those risks? So there's various ways in which this can be done. You could choose to avoid the risk, reduce the risk, transfer the risk, or to simply accept the risk. So let's consider each. If you want to reduce your risk, and let's say again, property, you're um, buying one, you might appoint a surveyor to do that full survey. So the good thing about this is that they hopefully will identify all the things that could go wrong with the property. Now, clearly that won't eliminate the risk. What it will do is reduce the risk of any unplanned repair bills. It also provides you an opportunity to renegotiate on purchase price, for example. What about risk avoidance then? Using the survey example, let's say that a major issue has been identified. Well, in that case, you could just simply pull out of the deal. You've avoided that risk. The next one, transferring the risk. In this case, what we're doing is moving that risk from one party to another party. That's called insurance. That's what we all do. We all buy landlord insurance. And then finally, risk acceptance. We can't mitigate all risks. We'd never cross the road. And therefore, we really just need to decide to what extent are we willing to accept certain risks in pursuit of, of your goals? It just comes back to risk appetite. Are the risks identified? Are they within your risk appetite? So that's what risk means to me. You started by saying that risk is the possibility of something bad happening. And did have a fascinating discussion about this with Rob Dix in episode one. And I suggested to him that no one ever says it's the possibility of something good happening. My opinion here is, is the possibility not achieving your goals or objectives. The goals here is something good happening. The risk is not achieving those goals for a certain reason. What you said reminded me of something that I heard on a podcast. It was a couple of guys, very experienced at auctions, and they were interested in a particular lot. I think the guide price was something like £15,000 or whatever. And they realised that if they could get planning on it, they could have a GDV of something like a million pounds on this. Wow. But they had decided that they would only go to £45,000 and it went above 45000 and the winning bid was actually £90,000. But they were okay with that, even though it was subsequently the guy who bought it for 90000 did end up developing out the project and it sold for £1 million, or it had a GDV of £1 million. And they were talking about the cost of risk being different to each person. So they had decided that the cost of their risk was 45000 and then they were very disciplined and they didn't go above that. And they fully understood that the cost of risk can be different for different people, even if it's for the same deal. They were worried about, not worried, but they were uh, conscious of the fact that they would be tying up a certain amount of money. So it's kind of a mixture of cash flow and risk capacity. That example, the 45 grand that they were willing effectively to bet on this particular deal is their risk appetite. Clearly, risk capacity and risk appetite, there's a degree of correlation between the two. Generally, people with greater risk capacity, the ability to absorb a risk, have also a higher risk appetite. But that is not always the case. You could have very wealthy people that are not willing to lose anything, and they would have a very low risk appetite. 
in that case, the upside of a million pounds gain is huge, but perhaps the probability of achieving that goal was considered low. So you said it was dependent upon achieving planning. Maybe that would have been very, very difficult. And therefore they could have spent their 45,000 pounds, not achieve planning. And then in effect, the property being near to worthless. Their capacity was clearly driving their risk appetite. In this case, liquidity was a restriction or a constraint, then that would therefore reduce their risk capacity. Yeah, great. Fascinating stuff. So, Sean, you have been an amazing guest, and I think these episodes will be a fantastic resource for all property investors, not just expats and overseas investors. What's the best way for people to get in touch with you? Two places. My website, propertytaxaccountant.uk. And then I'm quite active on Instagram as well. So my handle there is property underscore tax underscore accountant underscore UK. And of course, you have a really good newsletter that you release every week. I subscribe to it and I would urge all our listeners to as well. It's got loads of useful content, mostly, although not exclusively relating to tax and property. You can even see pictures of Sean wearing Bermuda shorts in there, I think, occasionally. (laughs) Indeed, that's the case. I I normally try to share at least one embarrassing story about myself each week. Yeah, so well worth signing up for that just for that, I would say. (laughs) (laughs) So thank you. you. Yes, you can sign up at at my website or or send me a message on Instagram and I'll add you to the mailing list. So thank you so much for this fantastic collaboration, Sean. And I'm sure we'll be hearing much more of you in the not too distant future. My pleasure. Thank you for inviting me. So rather than picking out highlights from today's episode, it might be better to sum up the concept of risk management, which Sean defined as the systematic approach to identifying, evaluating, mitigating and monitoring risk which involves thinking about risk capacity, which broadly comes down to how much you can practically handle according to your circumstances, risk appetite, which is more of a personal choice about how much risk you're willing to take, and risk tolerance, which amounts to how much leeway to your risk appetite you're prepared to allow before taking action. Perhaps best described in Sean's analogy of the police allowing you to go 10% above the speed limit before pulling you over. That wraps up this mini-series on tax, so we'll be going back to our regular schedule of weekly episodes released every Wednesday morning, depending, of course, on where you are in the world. And because tomorrow's Wednesday, there'll be a new episode, and if you follow the show, you'll get it as soon as it's published. Please help me out by rating, reviewing and subscribing, and if you know someone that would like to know more about investing in UK property as an expat, or who would benefit from these seven daily episodes on property tax, then share the show to spread the word. You've been listening to Expat Property Story.